0: Morning again, Chillicothe Bible Church. Glad you're here this morning. Over the past couple of weeks, we have been looking at the book of Nehemiah, which is all about this this great God given task of building the walls of Jerusalem. And it's tempting as you look at what we're going to look at today, is just to see this as a construction project. And so I actually want to think about it as just a construction project task for just a minute and just consider the immensity of the task that they had before them. Uh, We know uh, from archaeology that the wall that Nehemiah built, uh, rebuilt, actually, was roughly 16 feet thick. 16 feet thick. Uh, If you're here in the sanctuary, that is roughly the thickness of our uh, center section of seats. 16 feet. Uh, We don't know exactly how tall the wall was. Uh, We know the present walls of Jerusalem, uh, how tall they are. They're roughly 40 feet, but those were built by the Ottomans in the... um, that's not just that's not a piece of furniture. Uh, that's an empire, uh, and <laughs> that ruled over the Middle East, uh, controlled by the Turks, and uh, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in the 1600s. And those present walls that still stand today are about 40 feet high. We don't know how tall Nehemiah's walls were. They were probably at least 20 feet tall. They may have been as tall as the present ones, but 40 feet. It's an immense task, immense, and we know that depending on how you understand, and a lot of the a lot of the archaeology um, sites from uh, from Nehemiah's time have been covered up by additional layers of civilization that has been rebuilt on top of that. Uh, but it, depending on how big Nehemiah's walls were. They covered an area in circumference ranging from approximately a mile and a half to approximately two and a half, so roughly two miles in circumference around, around the, the city of Jerusalem. How much effort does that take? I think it's safe to say a bit. It's a big project. And it is uh, undertaken at a time when Jerusalem is not a bustling, deeply, thickly populated city, where the walls of the city, in fact, have not stood within the lifetime of anyone who is living there at the time. It's been 140 years since they were destroyed by the Babylonians. How are they going to do this? And on top of that, here's the other wrinkle. You really need to get the walls up as quickly as possible before your opponents can get organized and shut you down. Because after you're already done, then, then the job is over. And it can't be stopped because it's finished. It's a fait accompli at that point. Well, how do you rebuild? Nehemiah tells us how things got started in chapter 3, and I think it has, despite being a description of a building project, a lot to teach us about the task of rebuilding something that has been destroyed. And so I want to read for us uh, this section of Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, and if you would stand with me, we honor God's word together. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hasenah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and next to them, Meramoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshelam, the, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshabel, repaired. And then next to them, Zadok, the son of Benam, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Joiada, the son of Phaseah, and Meshelam, the son of Bes the sodia repaired the gate of yeshana they laid its beams and set its doors its bolts and its bars and next to them repaired melatiah the gibeonite and jaden the Mar- maronathite the men of gibeon and of mizpah the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river next to them uziel the son of Harhiah, goldsmiths repaired next to him hananiah one of the perfumers repaired and they restored jerusalem as far as the broad wall and next to them Raphiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jediah, son of Arumaph repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hatush, the son of Hash, Hashabniah, repaired. Malkijah, the son of Harim and Hashub, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. He and his daughters Hanum and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate, they rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malchijah, the son of Rakab, ruler of the district of Beth-Hakarim, repaired the dung gate, he rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and Shalom, the son of Kolharam, Hoza, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he bu- built the wall of the pool of Shelah of the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. And after him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of beth repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired Rehum, the son of Benai. Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Keilah, repaired for his district. And after him, their brothers repaired Babi, the son of Hinadad, ruler of half the district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired Another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib the high priest, and after him Merrimah the son of Uriah, son of Hakoz, repaired. Another section from the house of the from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib, and after him the priest, the men of the surrounding area repaired. After them Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house, and after them Azariah, the son of Masiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house, and after him Benwi, the son of Hinadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. And Palal, the son of Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. And after him, Fediah, the son of Farosh, uh, and the temple servants living on Ophel, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Hophel. And above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. And after them, Zadok, the son of Immer repaired opposite his own house. And after him, Shemiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zaloph, repaired another section. And after him, Meshelam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the entrance and between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Let's pray. God, our Father, We confess to you this morning that as we read a section of your word, and we're not sure, a lot of us, how this speaks to our lives today. Because it seems like a long list of names. Father, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us about these things that happened a long time ago to people whose names we do not recognize. And how they still speak to us today in our community and in our time. And Father, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts and our eyes and our ears. That we might take in your word and receive what it has to say to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, this chapter is what it appears to be. A long list Of names describing a construction project mostly of places and people that you have never heard of and do not know where they are. And people that you do not meet elsewhere in your Bible. And you're kind of going hmm, this is not my favorite section for which which to do my devotions over the next two weeks, right? Um, But I want to put up a diagram of what they did Um, this is the walls of the city in the time of Jerusalem or an artist's reconstruction thereof. And what you've got up here at the top is the Sheep Gate. And it's called the Sheep Gate because that's where they brought the sheep in for sacrifice, right? Uh, Down here at the bottom uh, is, I think, I think this is the dung gate because when you've got um a bunch of animals in a city what do you have also a lot of a lot of dung a lot of animal byproduct. okay and you're you're also going to need a way to get the garbage out and uh down here in this area is the hinnom valley and the hinnom valley is where they burned the garbage uh, in fact, it's where it's the place, place where they burn the garbage. Is the, the the name of a place, and it's the name Jesus uses to speak about hell. He calls it Gehenna. It's like the Valley of Hymnon, where the garbage was burnt, where the worm does not die and the fire never goes out. In addition to that, what you'll see as we go through, you'll see. Um, You'll see these towers being described, uh, the Fish Gate, the Tower of Hananel, uh, the Valley Gate, the Siloam Pool, the King's Garden is down here. Uh, the This is the Buttress. There's the projecting tower, the muster Gate, these other towers and so forth. This section of wall for the Temple Mount was called the Ophel. Um, and... Um, and then uh, the king's house, the palace, is up, up here near the Temple Mount, adjacent to it. Uh, and what you'll see as you see this described is essentially moving counterclockwise around the city all the way around till they get back to the Sheep Gate. They start at the Sheep Gate, they go all the way around, and then verse 32, you're back at the Sheep Gate again. Um I believe that Nehemiah 3 is included in our Bibles because it's about much more than an ancient construction project. Uh, this this chapter gives us a historical example of how God gives grace to His people and how He uses people and enables them to accomplish amazing things for His glory and their good. It's not just about rebuilding walls. It's about restoring place and the restoration of worship in that place and about the gathering of God's people and how they work together uh, to do his will and so there are in this chapter principles for us to apply today in our tough circumstances now we are not facing the kind of monumental task that they were Uh, after all Many of our ministries were last functioning a year ago, not 140 years ago. Um, But we nevertheless are engaged in a rebuilding process. And one of the ways in which God gives grace to his people is through the leaders, the spiritual leaders that he raises up. And if you look at your Bible, what you see in the first two verses is that the first people who are motivated to begin the project Look who it starts with. It starts with the high priest and the priests within. That if, if something is going to succeed, you're going to need those who are spiritual leaders to step forward and to, and to fulfill their ministry, to fulfill their role of, uh, of doing the work of the ministry, of doing what God has called them to do. And so you see Eliashib, the high priest, and the other high priest with him, and they start right in the area where they are. Right at, right at the sheep gate. Right at the point that is the most essential place to be restored so that worship can be fully functional and, rest and restored where it needs to be. And they start right where they are. Right near where they do their ministry and they get that rebuilt. And when you when you imagine these gates, what you need to imagine is actually a series of, of two gates with a space in between, one at one end and one at the other, and then this open, bizarre space in between. And it could be covered. In some cases, it's actually mentioned that it was covered. Uh, and it provided you not only with shade, but that's where the marketplaces were. In this ancient city. It's where you conducted business. So as an example, when Boaz goes and acquires Ruth as a wife and with her the property of her uh, deceased husband, he conducts it at the gate of the city. And it's in this space in between these two doors at either end. And there's walls that go up. And then the walls of the city itself are connecting each of these gates all the way around. But there's a door at either end and a space in between for fellowship and commerce to take place. And so, you know, as an example, Proverbs 31, which speaks of the wife of noble character and how her husband is well known at the city gates because that's where the business of the city is conducted, is in these gates. And so they start restoring this area. And in fact, notice how their work is described you see it there in verses 1 and 2? It says they consecrated it. They consecrated it. In other words, they devoted it to the Lord, what they were doing. And they saw what they were doing as His work. And you know what's interesting? If you're a priest, especially if you're the high priest, you are among the elite of Jewish society. You are the people who are revered and respected. You are the people before whom everybody else in the nation bows in respect. And yet, these guys, when there's work to be done, don't say, well, you know, it would be nice if we got this, this gate constructed. After all, it is important for worship. But uh, we'll be over here having an Arnold Palmer on the side in our lawn chair, and you all go do the work. Is that what they do? No. These guys are the elite, and yet they are not afraid to get their hands dirty in manual labor. By the way, I don't know if you've ever laid blocks or carried mortar for somebody who is, but that is a hot, hard, sweaty job. It is hard work at both ends of that process of being the mortar mixer and carrying all that mess over to, to lay the stone and then moving those stones in place. It's hard work. And the priests are not afraid to get their hands dirty and to do it. Uh, spiritual leadership is about more than simply teaching people spiritual things about God. It's also getting your hands dirty getting up to the the elbow, having dirt under your fingernails in some cases, doing the work of the ministry. And they're not afraid to do it. Uh, They work and labor alongside everyone else. And I think that teaches us this principle that, that God expects those who are in spiritual leadership to lead by example. To do right alongside everybody else, what they're asking other people to do. Amen. That so we don't sit on the sidelines. And then also, what they do through their example is they motivate God's people to accomplish manageable tasks, and then they give recognition to their efforts. If you look at, um, if you look at verse. Uh, 3 to 32, uh, you probably will be less than inspired. In fact, you'll probably get bored reading these names. Uh, and Or you'll get tongue-tied, as I did, trying to read them all. Too many consonants in the wrong spots in there for me to, to get my tongue around that, right? But if you read it that way, you'll miss some of what it's telling us. Because it lays out a number of things that are pretty interesting. One of the things it shows is that this was an organized effort. It's an organized effort. As I said, you know, they start here and they work their way all the way down and around and all the way back. In fact, by the time the description gets back to the Sheep Gate, the guys who built it are doing something else. Did you notice that? Some of these names get repeated at the beginning and at the end of the chapter because by the time we've gotten back around after we've done all this, we're actually on to the next thing at the end. It's an organized effort. Notice also that it is cooperative. I counted. I went through, and I may have miscounted, but I counted the use of the phrases next to them Next to him, after him, after them. You know how many times those phrases appear in 32 verses? 28 times. You know why? Because it's side by side. Everybody is lined up around the wall, side by side, working together, elbow to elbow. Third, you, you ought to notice that each person or group is given a manageable task it's divided up into little bitty chunks do this gate do this section of wall i i, I tend to think it was probably it probably got competitive at some level right i bet i can lay this wall faster than you Right, uh, let's you know because that's how that's how it is with men, right? Uh, everything is a competition, right? From eating hot dogs to laying r- laying uh, laying bricks, um, but these guys are working side by side, and it's manageable tasks. I remember when I went whenever I went to seminary or went to college, you'd get that on the first day of class. You go to all your classes, and they hand you that syllabus. that's about that thick, and you're looking at it and you're going. There is no way I'm going to get all of this done in the next four months, all right? Or I remember, and I told I told somebody this this week that a couple days after I got married, um, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I I I I did. I had a panic attack after I got married. I was like. <laughs> I got married. <laughs> okay. Because I thought there's I don't know the first thing about being a husband. I don't know how I don't know how to do that. Right? I remember when our our first child was born when we were taking Sarah home from the hospital, you know, and we've we've been we've been cared for well. You know, they brought us a steak dinner. We've had this wonderful experience at the hospital and then They bring in our child and they're like, all right, it's time to go home. And we kind of look at one another, we're like, we got to figure out how to put clothes on this kid. And we didn't know how to do that, right? And then we get her strapped into her car seat and, and, you know, they're coming in and they're inspecting and, you know, making sure we got the thing fastened in right. And we look over at one another and Karen says to me, I can't believe they're going to let us take this kid home. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and we didn't. Right? And we did, we had no clue how to be parents. Right? I didn't know how to be a husband. I didn't know how to be a father. Did, we didn't know how to be parents. How do you do that? And and the just the weight of the task just landed on us. Right? And you all of a sudden are overwhelmed if you focus on the size of the task in front of you. But one of the great things I found out was I didn't have to know how to be a a good husband for 50 years today. Right? I didn't have to know how to raise an 18-year-old on the first day we take her home in the hospital. And so you start with a manageable task. Right? Can we get her in the car seat? All right, we won, right? (laughs) Can I change a diaper? I can do that. All right, we won. And you do a little bitty chunk at a time, right? A little bitty part of the task. And the guys who organize this and lead this effort get everybody to do not the whole thing and not even to focus on the whole thing, but can you do your job right here where you are and do a little bit today a little bit tomorrow and a little bit the day after and do your section can you do that okay I can do that right and you'll notice as you read that in some in several instances it's pointed out that people built the section near their house now why do you build a wall for protection So where, if you're going to build a wall, are you particularly motivated to make sure you've got good protection? At your house, (laughs) right? And so that's a very practical thing, right? People are doing the job nearest to them. Fourth thing I want you to notice here in these verses. Notice how many different kinds of people there are who are devoted to the task. There are priests who work in the area of the temple near the center of their ministry. There's also a significant number of people from out of town. It's not all locals. There are people from Jericho and Tekoa and Gibeon and Mizpah, from Zenoa, from Beth-Hakarim, from Beth-Zur, from Keilah. It's not just the residents of the immediate area and the immediate local community because if it was up to the residents of the immediate local community probably couldn't have got it done. There weren't enough of them. That's why the center of government of this area was not in Jerusalem. It was in Mizpah, which was another city. It's where the governor lived because Jerusalem was had been destroyed. It was kind of a backwater at this time. And since the, the number of residents of the local area was small, God sends in reinforcements from out of town. How about that? In addition to that, there are goldsmiths and perfumers like Malkijah, Uziel, and Hananiah. These guys are craftsmen. These are skilled trades. These are guys that uh, that normally work with objects that have fine details. Where they could have argued, look, you know, um, these hands are too important to my ongoing life, my ongoing profession, to devote to something like manual labor. I mean, I might break a finger or something and be unable to work. I couldn't do that. But they throw themselves into the work. There are city officials and governors and rulers of districts and sub-districts. There are not just men, there are women who show up to do work. Uh, Like the daughters of Shalom. Shalom is ruler of half of Jerusalem. His daughters would have been considered noble women. And yet they show up to lay block. How about that? Women are an important part of the work being done. There are single men that show up to work, like Benjamin and Hashub. There are temple servants who are mentioned in uh, chapter twenty-six. I mean, verse 26 and verse 31. There's Shemaiah, the city guard, who may have been something like the, the police chief. He shows up to work. And finally, in verse 32, we read about the merchants who work alongside the goldsmiths at the north end of the city. And the point being made here is that God uses all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds and trades and professions to do this amazing thing. And last of all, notice that there's recognition given to everyone who makes a contribution to the work. It's not just the prominent, it's not just the noblemen, it's not just the rulers and officials and priests and important people, it's every single person who gives themselves to this work. Lots of obscure people. People who are not mentioned elsewhere in Scripture anywhere are mentioned here. Why is that? Because God keeps a record of those who give their lives to serve Him. Remember what Jesus said? He said, no one who gives a cup of cold water in my name will fail to receive their reward. Is that because that is a humongous act of service? No. Because it's a very small one. That's the point. That God keeps a record of that. And in fact, he keeps a record of things which are done not for recognition, but are done in secret. Remember uh, what Jesus also said? he said several times as he taught, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And he says that about giving, about prayer, about acts of service to people that God sees and keeps a, keeps track of all of those things. And he offers their reward and offers to them recognition. Of what they've done. A lot of times, when you serve in 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 ministry and serve and doing the Lord's work, a lot of what you do goes unseen. A lot of what you do goes unseen. Now, I have good friends that tease me, uh, and they always say something like, "Well, you know, you only work one day a week as a pastor, right?" And 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 the seen part. Of what I do. Is precisely that. It's a couple hours on Sunday morning. But the unseen part. Is the rest of the week. Right? And and if you're involved in the ministry. There's a lot of seen. But there's also a whole bunch more unseen. That goes on too. And you know what? God sees it all. He sees every bit of it. And he keeps a record and he recognizes it and honors it. Now there are two other things that you should know about this aspect of recognition. Did anybody catch as we were reading some guys that were dishonored in this book? Yeah. Yeah, who are they? The noblemen of Tekoa. They're in verse 5. It says that the noblemen of Tekoa would not stoop to serve their Lord. How about that? Well, I'm too busy. I'm too important. I'm not to be bothered with that kind of work. We'll send you our guys. We'll send you people to help, but I'm not going to do that. They would not stoop to serve their Lord. How about that? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be listed in the Lord's record book as one of those people. As people who who had a relationship with God, he is their Lord. But they will not stoop to serve him. Uh, in addition to that, you know who else? There's someone missing. From this list. It's an extensive list, but there's one person missing. Did you catch it? Nehemiah. He's nowhere in here. And I think that teaches us something also important. That if you are a real leader, you want to make sure everybody else gets credit, but you don't need to claim any for yourself. Because the Lord sees and the Lord knows. And so he is eager to share credit with everybody else, but he claims none. And I think that's godliness. Now, you might be wondering at this point exactly how this chapter applies to you. And I don't want to hold you in suspense much longer. Um, So here's what I think we need to learn from this chapter that here in 2021, where we are right now, I don't know if you know it or not, but uh, we became a church plant over the last 12 months, right? A small group of people gathered who are launching a ministry uh, and starting not completely from scratch, but largely from scratch. A bunch of stuff that hasn't operated in a year and in order to do that in order to launch successfully as a, as a church and in one sense as a new church we're going to need to we're going to need some things and one of the things we're going to need is working spiritual leaders working spiritual leaders. We are really blessed here at Silly Bible. Everybody that I serve on the elder board with, all of our ministry team leaders are practitioners. They're not just people who go to a meeting and say, you know, kind of on this rear echelon type thing where they stand back and say, you all go and do that, (laughs) right? No, Uh, we are really blessed and we have people who serve and who work right alongside us. In the ministry but we need more people like that to exercise that kind of spiritual leadership to step forward and rise up and take leadership and lead by example work right alongside God's people to accomplish the task before us Uh, we're also going to need our leaders to organize and motivate a cooperative effort involving every kind of person locals and out-of-towners, we're going to need um, merchants, business people, people who are craftsmen, people who are uh, who are teachers of spiritual things, men, women, everybody. All hands on deck, and we're going to need to divide up the ministry into manageable tasks. And give recognition to the people who serve the Lord. Now, we've not done great at recognition. I'll be honest with you. We have not. We often don't stand up and cheer for one another like we should. But we can change that. And we're going to need people doing their little part of the ministry in order to relaunch what we're doing successfully. And that is your calling. To be one of the people willing to serve. And not in a huge area, but in a manageable area. And every kind of person is going to be needed for work. going to need everyone to show up and do the ministry that they're called to do. The part that's nearest to them. Either nearest to them in proximity or nearest to them in terms of their heart and their calling. We'll need Sunday school and Awana and evangelism and youth ministry and women's ministry and men's ministry and operations and disciple making along the way. And God is calling us, all of us, every every type and kind of person, young people, old people, students, seniors, working people, retired people. All of us have a part in what God has laid out ahead of us. And then last of all, we're going to need both walls and doors to be rebuilt. What are walls? Walls are points of safety and security. And over this last year, one of the things that I've seen happen in the lives of lots and lots of people is that the walls of their lives have been broken down. And lots of people have, have through isolation, through lack of relationship with other people, through their own tendencies towards sin, etc. The walls of their life have been broken down and so they have gotten entangled in addiction and in uh, various types and kinds of sin and all of these things have flooded into their heart and into their life. And we're going to need to help one another to rebuild the walls of our own lives. To fight against sin. To regain our resistance to evil that we had to overcome sinful desires in our own hearts. And we rebuild these things as we worship together, as we confess our sin together and live in repentance, as we fellowship and as we hold each other accountable, as we pursue Christ personally each day through the word and in prayer, as we draw near to Christ and one another through all of these things, we help each other rebuild the walls. Because the walls are important. Walls provide safety and protection from a dangerous enemy. The devil and our own flesh. Amen? But we also need gates, doors, points of entry. Because one of the other things that's happened in this last year is that lots of things that we formerly took for granted we've now become worried about doing you know i i love having people over to my house i love i love having small groups i love going to sunday school i love fellowship meals uh, and potlucks and i love gatherings and parties and all of these kinds of things i'm a people person i like being around lots of people But here in this last year, we've all kind of pulled back to just our little house and our little family. Small groups are shut down for the most part. Lots of meetings have been conducted, not live and in person, but over Zoom. Which, praise God for Zoom, praise God for streaming worship. But it's a whole lot less than ideal. Amen? It is. And we're going to need to rebuild the gates into our lives. And draw, not only let people in, but draw people in. Not only people who are part of our church family, but people who don't know Jesus from the man in the moon, and draw them in. And provide wide gates into our lives and into the church uh, and its fellowship. We need walls. We need protection from sin and Satan and the death he inflicts on our lives through these things. But we also need gates. We let people in and pull them into our lives. Karen and I talked recently about some of the lessons we learned from the pandemic. One of the things that we have been learning is not to take for granted the things that we enjoy. Not to take for granted the fact that you can gather with God's people for worship every week. Not to take for granted the fact that you can gather with your small group. Not to take for granted the fact that you can sit and have a cup of coffee with somebody and listen as they pour out their heart to you. Not to take for granted the fact that you have a small group of people who can pray with you and care for you and walk with you through life. Not to take for granted the ability to make disciples live and in person. Not to take for granted opportunities to share the gospel with someone who needs to hear it and whose life is a mess without it. Not to take for these things for granted because we they are not if this year has taught us anything it's that these things are not guaranteed. We have tended to assume or at least I have tended to assume over the previous 46 years of my life that Well, church will always be there, and it'll be open next week if I don't make it this week. Small group will be there. I I don't need to be there this time. I'm tired. That discipleship opportunity that I'm passing by right now, it'll come around again. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. We need to seize those opportunities that God puts in front of us to build those gates into our lives today. Amen? And to draw people in. Because our calling is not simply about ourselves, it's about other people. And allowing them into our lives and doing life with them, pointing them toward Jesus, encouraging each other to live for Jesus and walk with Him until Jesus comes. Amen? We need walls and doors. Safety and gates into our lives. And we are going to need, most of all, God's grace and His help to carry out this immense task that He has laid before us. So, as we wrap up our time together, Let's do pray. And let's ask God to give us that grace. Amen. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You pour out in the Scriptures to us by Your Holy Spirit things that if we're not paying attention, we might miss. But that are deeply applicable to our lives. Father, I pray that... um, that you would help us as we rebuild Chillicothe Bible Church, as we draw one another close together, as we uh, make a transition over the next few months from a time of masks and social distancing to a time of hugs and uh, getting close to each other again. That you would help us, Father. That you would give us your aid. That you would inspire us by your word and spirit to, to rebuild, to remake the things that you have given to us. And Father, this will not be easy. And it will require all of us to work and to carry out the task in front of us. But Father, we know that by your Holy Spirit that we can accomplish these things, not in our own strength, but as you equip and empower and enable us. And Father, we pray that you would work in us that we might give you glory and praise for what you accomplish here in this year. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.